what I think non-fiction books do really well and great non-fiction books do is they start conversations. They, they make us think differently and they make us think of new possibilities. Welcome to The Books That Made Me, a brand new podcast from Rebel Book Club. And today we are speaking with Elizabeth Uvibinene, author of The Reset, Ideas to Change How We Work and Live, and co-author of the cultural shifting, smash hit and award-winning Slay in Your Lane with her great friend Yomi Adagoke, who she tells us about their backstory and how they created this amazing book and movement. Elizabeth also talks about the books that made her, including a surprising choice, and her new entrepreneurial venture, which is helping people with daily habits. And she is a productive and impactful human. So listen in and enjoy the conversation. Elizabeth, welcome to Rebel Book Club. Hi, Ben. How are you? What an intro. Thank you. (laughs) There we go. It's all true so far, I'm sure. Now, you are the author of five books, which we can't talk about them all this morning. But tell us how you met Yomi and and Slaying Your Lane came about. So I met Yomi at university, so way before Slaying Your Lane. So we were uh, uh, freshers, um, 18 years old, having a great time. And then years later, we were best friends, like from jump. And uh, so years later, when we both went into our respective fields, I in the more corporate um, setting and Yomi in the more media, she was at Channel 4, I was at, um, you know, one of the largest banks in the world. So very different um, uh, um, environments. We, I guess, realised that we were experiencing um, things that you would experience just being a young black woman um, in a workplace that's, you know, really large. And it's your first time being somewhere like that. And uh, we teamed up to write Slaying Your Lane um, after a lunchtime where we had, uh, so I would call her basically. So I would call Yomi cause, and she would call me as best friends do in between, you know, meetings, lunchtimes or whenever. And just, I guess have, you know, as what I call it in Slaying Your Lane, sanity checks, uh, where you call your best friend and it's like, yeah, this happened. Not really sure uh, how I feel about this and just the usual things. So uh, amongst our discussions and amongst our uh, chats about life, everything from, you know, reality TV to uh, boys, um, we I basically pitched to Yomi and said, you know what, someone needs to write a book that speaks to the experiences of what it is to be a young black woman, um, because there are things that are going on in, you know, workplaces uh, in this country that needs to kind of be spoken about and things such as, you know, microaggressions, um, you know, the feeling of working twice as hard and getting t- and, and only getting um, half back. And someone needs to kind of like talk about this um, and someone needs to write about this. So we said we should both write it together because it wouldn't just be about the uh, the book, it would be a movement. And I was obviously working in marketing. And when you say movement, you know, ha- mil- companies throw millions of pounds on uh, making people care about things. And um, so I was like, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, it'll be a movement. And then obviously it turned out to be a movement. So yeah, that's the kind of like whistle-stop tour about how Slaying came about. And we went from talking about work to realising that nobody was talking about um, black women in health or, or black women in, in the media. So um, it became, yeah, the, the Black Girl Bible, which is our subtitle. It became a, a big thing. And and you know, catching up with it a few years later. Um, and, and just what what's so from a nonfiction perspective, one of the reasons, you know, I think it's traveled well um around our community is that it's the personal storytelling, obviously, that, that we've just heard from you, but also the mission and like this sort of 
commentary on society from from your perspective that so many people connected to what happened off the back of it wow what what didn't happen that's probably um, <laughs> that's probably like, a better question um, i would say um you know what i i just on your point that's a really good question around the personal um story element because when we first wrote uh the first draft i remember our agent at the time juliet pickering um she said to us she said she said this is great in terms of the facts and everything is in there like it's well it's 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 researched very well but it's dry and yomi and i looked at each other and we were like dry we are the most if you know us ben ben this is, a, this is our second time kind of like you know doing the doing a chat you know we're not dry people so uh so it was very much like uh, we are not dry people. How is this coming across in our in our writing? And uh, Juliet was like, we, we need we need your personal stories. This is how the reader is going to not just connect with uh, what's going on from a social commentary point of view and the research, but also about how you guys see the world and you're taking them on along this journey. And at the moment, it's it's not doing that. So um, we need more of Elizabeth and Yomi's voice in. The, the different chapters and that was a game changer that went from this book being what it was then which was you know a very i guess a solid book to what i would describe now as and what people describe as a cultural landmark um and i think that is all about how we brought our voices and um, to the forefront um and, and kind of walked the reader through some very you know harrowing stats um funny anecdotes but um but yeah a great non-fiction um, read for everyone there you go well, it, not that it needs advertising again but slaying your lane if you haven't picked it up is is for everybody in in society whatever your background yeah i think what you described which is a great insight for non-fiction authors there elizabeth is this this mix of head and heart in a good non-fiction book which is like you you've got to put together a, a solid argument which was obviously version one but if you don't have the personal story you often get it does get a bit dry. You've got to be really into the subject. Whereas the other way around is like personal stories are amazing, but they don't necessarily help move things forward. People don't have a plan or, or don't have the context or the evidence behind the argument you're making. So yeah, you nailed it off the bat. So what did that, in terms of your writing, um, how did that, what was the, join up the dots for us from Slay in Your Lane to the reset? We turned Slay in Your Lane into a journal where people were able to um, do writing prompts um, based on some of the themes in our book uh, and then we and had beautiful illustrations as well so it was a really nice project as well working with an illustrator who was just yeah super super talented um, so that was obviously that was fun and that was very fulfilling uh, and then we had the opportunity to edit Loud Black Girls which is our third book so we commissioned 20 black British women and um, essentially asked them what they were thinking about in terms of the future and what was important to them. So we gave them a very open brief and uh, we worked very closely with the editor at the time at, at Fourth Estate, um, Helen Gardner-Williams, who is honestly like the, one of the best editors around. Um, and we were able to kind of have this collection of just amazing stories, everything from the impact of Meghan Markle and the royal family to um, to, to the politics of, of African and Caribbean food. Um, and through the lens of post-Brexit, post-Trump, what it was very much for future looking. So while Slaying Lane was very much 
in the past and, and kind of somewhat present, loud black girls uh, was is, was very much future looking. Then after that, um, so that was us editing. So we had to, it was it was not as much writing, but it was very much editing and, um, and writing around some of the different themes um, and things like that. So after that, that's third book. After that, the pandemic hit. Uh, but before the pandemic, I had this, I guess, I wouldn't say sneaky suspicion, because I think it was very obvious, but it's hiding in plain sight, like most things, um, that work wasn't working for not just black women, which is what we spoke we spoke about in Slaying Your Lane, but work wasn't working for everyone. You know, people living with disabilities, white men who, you know, in the grand scheme of things are archetypal, you know, uh, when it comes to success and, and leadership and things like that. You know, from my experience of speaking to so many people, it felt like it wasn't working for everyone, not just the people who kind of occupied the, um, the intersections of, you know, of, of identity. So black, being a woman, all of those things. I started working on an audio project, which is, which was, which would become The Reset. And long story short, um, I wanted to kind of do like a six part uh, investigation on why work wasn't working. And the pandemic hit in March 2020, obviously. And uh, it, I just, the project went from being an audio project into a book because I had just much more time i would say yeah one of a book that was was challenging to write because you writing during a pandemic obviously was you know very hard but also it was my first time writing by myself so it was it had that that had had that challenge but super proud of the concepts that the reset was able to kind of bring out i didn't want to write another kind of book for my generation that encouraged them to to work harder and focus on work as a source of their identity, but write something that was much more holistic, a much more holistic view on the way we see work and the way we see life and making sure that we're not bringing up a whole generation on, you know, very toxic work habits again. So yeah, that's the reset. And then a year later, we published um, a middle grade children's fiction book called The Offline Diaries. And there we have it five in five years. Just just the five books under your belt already, Elizabeth. It's it's um it's remarkable, and we could we could do lots more on all of them. But um, we're here to talk about the books that made you, of course, that you haven't written but have shaped you. But just before we do, um, I hear now you're working on a new a new venture. Of course, this this one doesn't stop. Um, that's actually beyond beyond the world of books. Tell us briefly about Storia. So Storia is um, a journaling um, app, um, essentially. And um, the, our big vision is to bring a, to make the world much more empathetic and understanding and help people do that through um, understanding themselves and um, cultivating, you know, different perspectives. Right, journaling has been transformative for me. Before I became an author, I was journaling when I was like 10 years old. Didn't know what it was, but I was journaling. I was writing on walls. I was writing pieces of paper. I was just getting things out. Um, and the only way I could do that was essentially like through words. Um, so Storia is, uh, a, and yeah, Storia is my next venture. It's a, it's, it's an app, um, where you're able to download and write your daily thoughts. And it's, and I think what's, what's special about Storia is I think a lot of journaling apps have the approach where it's about you and, and they don't really, um, realize that the people that, that the things that make us who we are, are the, are the people around us. So we have a very social lens in which we, we want to encourage people to pick up 
um, to, to pick up journaling and make it much more fun, gamified with guided prompts that are, um, are relevant to you. So if you're going through grief, you're going through, you know, um, uh, resetting your work life, there are going to be prompts and things that help you and, and guide you um, in, in order to do that. So um, yeah, that's that story. And that's what, that's my, my next big sixth baby, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and an app, building an app is a whole other challenge. So good luck with that. And um, we know at Rebel Book Club that journaling is, is one of those habits that, like you've just explained, when people, when people form it effectively, it's, it's a superpower. So um, I'm sure this is going to have a positive impact on a huge, huge new audience. Um, but let's go back now to what shaped you. So we've, we've heard briefly about this amazing uh, journey you've been on, the ambition, the influence, the impact, um, channeling your pain and anger and, and your creativity into these projects and books and, and so on. Tell us about a book that earlier on in your life had a big, shaped you as a person. Yeah. Um, so when you asked me this question, I had to, I really had to think um, because, but I didn't have to think really hard. And I think that's, and that's testament to the book that I'm about to, um, to mention. So the defining decade, why your twenties matter and how to make the most of them now, um, is a book by Meg Jay. Um, and I read this after I graduated and I would say this book had such a transformative, um, impact on the way I would set up my twenties without even me knowing, even it was, I would say it was, yeah, the guiding force. I turned 30 this year, a few months ago. And, um, yeah, I look back and I, I, I can't, I, I, yeah, I can't, I, I give a lot of credit to how that book, um, helped me see my twenties, not just in work, but in terms of relationships in people in love, but also in health. And, um, yeah, I look, yeah, I, I had my 30th, I had a really big birthday um, a party and I, I can credit that book to a lot of the things that I, um, yeah. So for example, Meg Jay talks a lot about, um, you know, relationships, not just, you know, romantic, but friendships and how important networks are and all of these things. And I looked back at this party and I had so many people that I'd met throughout the, throughout my years. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is so special being able to have like, you know, people in your life and, um, and have this community is, 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 you know, invaluable. So, um, that book very much shaped my twenties and I implore everyone to. And, and Elizabeth, did you read the defining decade? Were you 20, 25? Where did, and how did it come into your life? So I read it when I was like 19, no, not 19, sorry, 20, 20, about, about 20 or 21. It was just because, yeah. And a friend recommended it to me. Um, she was, uh, yeah, so she was like, "Oh, you should read it," and she sent me the PDF copy. Um, but it was—I just was—I preferred to like buy it, so because it um, just I preferred it physically at that time. So I bought it, and I was—I was cynical. But what I really love about that, the way she writes the book, again, personal stories are just the best thing because she's—I um, believe she's a doctor—and she puts pers- every chapter has a personal story um, um, at the start. And she uh, talks about, obviously, like patients and, um, and, and talks through the case studies. And it's so personable. It's, it's, um, 
it's just the way yeah I think it's just so well written it's so easy and so clear and it just supercharged the way I would think about like I said work love and health because that's how the book is broken down and you can see the influence on it in your own writing and it's so interesting that you know the idea I think we've talked about rebel book club that of teenagers only being what 50 years old the concept of a teenager stage of life teenage stage of life isn't very old as a, as a sort of social or cultural construct. And, and it's interesting now how, and I guess this book and, and the work you're doing is part of this next part of that conversation. It's like, what do the 20s mean? Because so many people are getting lost, understandably, in the chaos of modern life. Um, like, how do we define them? So here's, here's a great place to start. It pairs well with the reset, I've heard. So it turns out you don't just need to be a published author to have had books change your life. We see this happen every month at Rebel Book Club. And we're also seeing our members' reading habits shift as well towards listening to more books to fit around their busy digital lives on the move. So when we found out about a new audiobook service called ZigZag, we were excited to give it a spin. ZigZag's aim is to make reading easier and more accessible, engaging and sustainable, so even more curious minds can enjoy great books. And with their subscription-free library of awesome books on the award-winning ZigZag app, which get cheaper every five books you read, you're getting great value as you build your audiobook stack. What's really cool is they've created something called an X-Book, an audiobook and ebook in one format, exclusive to ZigZag on certain books. And the really exciting part for us is that people joining Rebel Book Club in 2023 get a free audiobook on ZigZag to kickstart their non-fiction reading journey with us. The link to this fab offer is on the pod page and rebelbook.club. The future of reading is multi-format and we're pumped to be teaming up with a brilliant indie audiobook startup. Now, talking of books that change lives. So tell us tell us about the second book that's um, had a big impact on you. The second book would ha- have to be Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg um, for obvious reasons. But um, and by that, I mean. And I know that there are people have a lots of lots of opinions on um, the concept of Lean In and uh, Sheryl Sandberg as, you know, as a as a um, as a person. So I say all of this to say that book had that book changed the game in terms of women in a corporate space because if i didn't read lean in when i was about 22 um slaying your lane wouldn't exist that's just the fact because cheryl sandwich opened up the conversation around um what it is to be a woman in the workplace and i saw that as like wow this is super this is great i wasn't hearing this before and she 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 opened up a conversation around what it is to be a woman in a in a workplace, and yes, in the corporate workspace. But what is so special about um, that book is, and what I what I think is which, what I think nonfiction books do really well, and great nonfiction books do, is they start conversations. They may you may not necessarily like agree all the time with a book, but I the books that for me are are you know landmarks and they are they capture the zeitgeist is they they make us think differently and they make us think of new possibilities and you may not always agree with everything in there but they they elicit some sort of opinion and i and i and i think that lean in did that really well because i saw that she was talking about what it is to be a woman in a workplace and a particular kind of woman yes somewhat privileged 
but it gave me the I guess inspiration to think why isn't anybody talking about it, what it is to be a young black woman in a workplace so without that jump off I don't believe sailing would exist as it is right now for sure it's great to hear that that version of the story of Lean In because especially in recent years it has become a much more and Cheryl Sandberg has become a much more controversial leader I guess in the in the modern workplace right and so how do you respond to friends or or peers who say well hold on Cheryl Sandberg hasn't you know has had a negative impact through whatever it might be you know leadership at Facebook do you, do you just go back to that context of what Lean In meant to you at that moment in time? Um, yeah, I think that if I'm being so honest, I think, I, how do I say this? If I'm being honest, I just think that we hold women to a very, very unrealistic standards as as well. I think that's sometimes part of the narrative um, and the vitriol in, in which people um, speak about Cheryl. And um, I don't know her personally. She wrote, um, she did email us uh, back, you know, a few years ago when Slaying Your Lane came out saying that, um, yeah, she, she saying that it was a great book and she's, you know, proud of what we've, what, what we've, what we've um, created and written and the movement behind that. Um, so it was, it was a very surreal moment to, to, and a full circle moment. Um, so I guess, Mike, to answer your question directly, I, I believe that, you know, what's the saying? If you stay, if you stay, what's this? I think the saying is, if you live long enough, you become the villain. I, that's, and I think that's just how I see a lot of things. Um, you see it with the girl boss movement with, with Sophia Maruso. You see it with so many different, you know, uh, um, uh, female, uh, like, uh, businesswomen. And it's, we have to ask ourselves, like, why? Why are we always vilifying the, the, the woman? Um, and I'm not saying that women can't, you know, have, don't have flaws. I'm not saying these women don't have flaws, but I think that the lens in which we see these flaws are much more like, uh, pronounced than if they were men. And that's, that for me is what I believe fundamentally. That's fascinating. Oh, we could dive into that so much more. Well, we're actually reading a book um, this month, an anthology, a rebel book club called All We Can Say, which is written by 50 uh, female leaders in the climate movement. and um it's what's fascinating is how they've kind of taken uh not just the anthology approach to storytelling but also they've built this amazing community of people having circles around the themes in the book off the back of reading it um to help people through it which is a lot of that kind of lean in strategy is like how do we learn together and and build build a movement so it's it's a real theme in like powerful non-fiction like this So we've got one more. You can squeeze in one more book that shaped you. Um, I know there's a big shout out for Invisible Women um, in your collection, which we've read as well. But there's there's one other book that's that you mentioned that had a big impact on you. What was it? So right now I'm reading Bernadine Evaristo's Manifesto on Never Giving Up. And um, yeah, I don't know if anybody has you know read into Bernadine's story, even if you haven't read um, the, the her, her nonfiction book Manifesto. Bernadine is just super, super inspiring um, for so many reasons. Uh, yes, because she won um, the Brooker Prize uh, a few years ago that catapulted her into, I guess, you know, um, our consciousness a, a lot more. Um, and this book just details her upbringing and just her resilience. And um, and I just find it, you know, the word inspiring is kind of, you know, it's used, it's overused, um, but 
Bernadine's story is is just what that is. It's, it's inspiring, personified. And I guess right now I'm going through a change in my own personal life. Become you know being an author, spending the last five years writing books into now into a, a founder of um, of a startup um, and building something from scratch. Uh, just you know the sentiment around never giving up and the sentiment around um, good things take time and. Uh, it's, it's okay to not have it all figured out and trust in the process. All of these themes have just really been speaking to me um, at the moment. And reading Bernadine's uh, um, book is, has, has really helped me, especially when I'm a solo founder as well. And, um, and again, personal stories matter. Um, bottom line, like, you know, this book, the way it's written is so simple. Not, yeah, simple. And I don't even mean that in a, you know, in a, I mean that in a, in, a, in a great sense, because being able to just have words that are clarifying to your own personal life and to have stories in there that just feel like she's speaking directly to who, like to you, that that's magic. That's alchemy. That does not come easy. Um, so yeah, the book is great and I'm enjoying it. And, you know, those days where it feels like, oh my God, this is so hard. Um, yeah, Bernadine has been helping me through it, and she doesn't even know it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure she does. Um, and I think it's a great example of, you know, when you fall in love with a, a, a an author of novels. I mean, Girl, Woman, Other is obviously is like a cultural landmark. I'll take your phrase from earlier. Um, it is in that. It, you know, so many people. It's it's like gone fully mainstream, hasn't it? And um, you're kind of like, oh, who's the person behind this? Where do they get all these ideas and stories from? And so to to have a book that does that gives that version of her actual story is fantastic. I wanted to ask Elizabeth on that point of resilience because, like inspiration, it's a word that's just battered around a million times a day, isn't it? Um, what when you when you come up against like the structural uh, inequalities in society? Um, which you've written so much about, um, like, and you feel beaten down by it, and you feel like, oh, how are we ever going to change this because we haven't got without a full revolution? Like, what do you what what do you draw on in those moments to get you through to the next to the next moment to the next day to the next project? That's such a good question. People, so I have such amazing people around me. Um, I don't believe I, you know, no man's an island. I firmly believe in that. Um, so being able to have people who are invested in who I am in my journey has been very, very, like just transformative, um, and comforting. So, because all of these structural things can feel really, really, really like deliberate, it can feel very suffocating and make you feel like you can't progress or all of these things. And, um, so people have been a real big, um, outlet. And um, journaling, and I hate to just be like, oh my God, like journaling again, but writing, um, and I'm not saying writing from a professional point of view. I just mean, just sometimes I just feel like I want to scream because just life, you just want to scream into a pillow. Other times I just want to basically uh, write to myself and that's what I do. So I will just write to myself um, and I do that on WhatsApp. So sometimes so on WhatsApp, hmm. I know it sounds so weird, but what I do 
Do you have two numbers? No. So this is, oh my God, let me let you do my secret. Uh, and this just came as source of inspiration for Story Up. But so since the last 10, 10 years, so even before I had an iPhone, I had a Blackberry, obviously, like most people did. I would, I, I text myself. I, so before I would BB myself and obviously now I WhatsApp myself. Um, and what you do is you save your number and then you can just WhatsApp yourself. So I, it's almost as if, so my WhatsApp is crazy because it's got like, random quotes in there it's almost like it's got you know voice notes where I just sometimes voice note myself I remember the day I decided I was like oh my gosh like I, I, I want to build this app like I like I think it's gonna change the world like I really want to do this and before I could tell my friends about it and which is can be quite you know quite vulnerable you, you, know, you tell people about something and it feels you know very different I had to tell myself about it so I would so I voice note myself in you know coming out of the station almost as if I was talking to my, like talking to somebody and I was just talking to myself and I was voice noting myself about this thing I wanted to do. Um, and I still have the voice note to this day because it's obviously on my WhatsApp. So to answer your question, people and being able to kind of let it out. So all of these things that we structure in quality, all of these things, you know, that we kind of go through on a day-to-day basis, but, um, we go through heartbreak, all of these things. Like I, I have to, I have to let it go. If I cannot dump it somewhere, it then follows me everywhere. And that will make me feel stuck. And the worst thing we need as humans to feel stuck. So that has been transformative, been able to, over the last 10 years, uh, go through so much change and things like that, but have a catalogue of like experiences or, or things that I can look back on. And I think that's what's also empowering about journaling. You can You look back and you go, wow. I was really down bad at that point or wow I really thought that and it's it makes you think okay cool you know what I won't you know it's not that deep like I got this and sometimes in life that's all you need you just need that self-affirmation that you've got this and um so yeah that's what helps me (laughs) it's so powerful uh to listen to you talk about that Elizabeth but also just the the habits and tactics from turning your frustrations and and um you know probably a lot of strong emotions into this kind of positive force using this life hack, which you're now turning into a, an actual app around building a journal that, that has a positive impact on people and, um, and yourself. And um, it's just so, there's just some great reminders there. So thank you. And thank you for sharing the books that made you. I know there'll be a dozens more and the defining decade is the, is the, is the phrase that's going to stick in my mind from this conversation because mm-hmm. not just the book so much, but the phrase of thinking about, that 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 really challenging but exciting opportunity of your twenties, um, being being able to do that at the start rather than at the end, and then to have that big party and just to reflect back on like what's happened in the last ten years for you, um, is 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 amazing. So um, so I can't wait to see what happens in your thirties and um, and the books that flow and everything else. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thanks, Elizabeth. Good luck with Storia. Appreciate it. Have a good one.